Moses, the way of an intercessor. Lesson three. Holy One, we welcome your unique anointings. We ask again for you to please, Father, show forth those abundant mercies upon us today. Just shower us and flood us, Father, with your mercies and with your grace. Help us to be open vessels, Father. Really, Father, help us to have open hearts to the truth of heaven and all these patterns and these wonderful truths that you've released into the earth for us to walk by. In Jesus' name, once again today, Father, we yield ourselves to you now for this portion as well. And we say that we trust the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We trust the Holy Spirit who will always guide us in the truth. We lean not to our own understanding. We lean not to our own understanding, but we will acknowledge you, and you and the Word are one. So we will acknowledge you in all of our ways, and you have promised that if we did so, you would direct our paths. So today, O oh God, I say thank you for directing my paths. Thank you for directing all of our paths. Thank you for ordering our steps before us, Father, so that we might walk in those eternal paths that you've preordained for us to walk in. Living the good life, you said, that you've already arranged for us to live. So we thank you today, Lord, and we trust you to speak to us and to teach us and to instruct us as we look into your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today we're up to Exodus 14. This is a passage of scripture that I teach in churches a lot from another angle. So I cannot but help teach some of that as we go through this as well. Uh, some of it you will have heard before because, like I said, I have nothing new because I've got an old book. <laughs> and uh, so I, I would be concerned if I had anything new. But anyhow, we're going to look. Let me just read. If you have the lessons, then I'll read from the top. Exodus 14. Intercessors are called to stand in gaps and breaches. Sometimes it's by choice, and sometimes it seems to be thrust upon you. At this juncture, it was by command of God to Moses. In Exodus 14, God reveals more strategy of how he receives glory, how he receives glory from our actions, and reminds us again of our position of responsibility to use what he's entrusted us with. He reminds us again of our responsibility to use what he's entrusted us with. So I'm going to just start from Exodus chapter 14, and we'll wind up reading this whole chapter, just about all of it. Verse 1, chapter 14, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before Piaharoth, between Migdal and the Red Sea, before Belzephon, you shall encamp opposite it by the sea. Again, they've come out of Egypt. They're all marshaled. If you read back in Exodus 13, again, if you'll allow me to immediately backtrack a little bit because of a, in every angle of prayer when we teach at length on prayer, I always go back to this one verse in Exodus 13, but let, let me just read it from Exodus 13, 17, and it's just because you need this in your thinking as well, because it's a very powerful truth. Exodus 13, 17 says, when Pharaoh led the pe let the people go, when Pharaoh let the people go, what's the, I don't know what Bible translation you have, what's the next word? Um, how many of you know God's smarter than you? 
Any, any, everybody agree with that before we go any further? When Pharaoh let the people go, God led them not by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, who said? For God said, lest the people change their purpose when they see war and return to Egypt. Okay? And then it says, but God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up, marshaled in ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had strictly sworn the Israelites, saying, Surely God will be with you, and you must carry my bones away from here with you. They journeyed from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. But I want you to remember verse 17 simply because, you know, it's God that said this. And herein is depths of wisdom that we're really not going to cover at this second, but I just, what it says is, is obvious enough. Israel coming out of Egypt is a type of salvation, remember. It's a type of coming out of the world. And when God first begins to lead people towards the promises, towards the land where the promises are, Canaan, God said, I'm not going to lead them by way of the Philistines. When you look at a map of the Sinai Peninsula, I used to always carry this little thing in my Bible when I teach it in schools and what have you. It shows up here, you know, Egypt, and it shows this little area where they come out, and then here's this whole Sinai Peninsula coming up like this, and over here is Cana. So you have all this, you know, we know today as Arabia and what have you down here. But up here, but in a in Thompson Chain Reference Bible or something, you'll see on the old map, you'll see from here to Canaan, there's this word, it'll just say Philist, Philistia or say the Philistines. Now, hear what God said. He said, God, when he led them out, did not lead them by way of the Philistines, though it was near, because he knew something about people that are young in things of release, young in things of the Spirit. When people just first get free from things, he said it's dangerous for them to be exposed to too much warfare because he said if they're exposed to too much warfare too quickly, they'll want to desert their purpose and go back to Egypt, which is the type of the world. And a lot of times people have made mistakes in that they've led people into some refined areas of warfare too early before they'd learned all the things because God took them down instead of taking them from here to here. He took them all the way down here through all of these teaching expositions. If you, you know, every single stop, every single passage, like I said, is a thing where, again, as the old saying goes, God brought Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And he had to bring them out and take them through all these things and all these training experiences and all the things that they were meant to be taught, which we'll get into, how God proved them in the wilderness. He didn't test them. He proved them, it says, whether or not they would follow every word that proceeded out of his mouth. Because he wanted them to understand that. Because before they ever got to a place where actual warfare was going to happen, they had to have an incredible change in their spirit. They had to have a revelation of faith in God and his provision and in his protection and in his desire for them. So I just wanted to cast that out there before we get started here. That, that's, that's a good scripture that every church, every leader, every organization should always teach at least their leadership. Because when you work with people, people are at all different levels. And before some people are thrust into situations that carry great danger, they need to go through a lot of teaching first. Amen. 
They simply need to go through a lot of training. Their human spirits need to be refined to some obedience to the things of the discipline of the Word of God. Because otherwise, they will get out there, and the moment warfare hits them, it's just what Jesus said in Mark 4. It says the Word comes, and Satan comes immediately to steal the Word. And it says, you know, that when the world, the distractions of this age and other things creep in and they swallow, they choke the Word, and the Word becomes unfruitful. It's the very same truth. You have to have uh, your house built upon the rock. You really do. And that takes time. It took Egypt here 40 years. Some of the major ministries that you'll ever read about, you know, didn't even begin until like 25 years. Their ministry didn't begin until 25 years into it, or in some cases 40 years into it, some cases 50 years into it is when God really began to use them. But you know how what we're like. We, we want it now. Everybody say now. Anyhow, that, that's parts for free. Now let's jump to Exodus 14 again. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before Piharoth, before Migdal on the Red Sea, before Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp opposite it by the sea. Now on the outline here, I've got in point A, the encampment. In verse 2, the Lord instructs Moses to have the people encamp before Piharoth in this place called Baal-Zephon. If you look up these two words, they're quite interesting. Again, because all names had symbolism. Piharoth meant literally the mouth of the gorges, but then it will say, like in the TWT of these others, it'll say the place where the wind blows strong. And then Baal Zephon is the word from Baal, which translates as Lord, and Sephun, which means the sense of cold, Typhoon, the destroyer. It always speaks of a destroyer. And so where God has his people, now like I put down here, it's kind of God's sense of humor. I said God has his people camp between the destroyer and the place where the wind blows strong. I put, this has a familiar ring to it if one has been involved in intercession long. Gaps and breaches. God puts you in a place. He'll have you camp in a place that's very important because now he wants us to be light in this world, doesn't he? We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. Well, salt's no good in a place that's already salty. Salt's, the best place salt needs to be is a place where there's no salt. Light does its best work in darkness, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's just that simple. So if indeed we have walked, if we're beginning to walk in this redemption that God's given us, He wants us to do something with it. He doesn't want us to encamp for the rest of our life in our own little holy huddle. He likes us to get out there where we can make a difference and bring Him to other people. Whether that be in our life, our style, our writings, or whatever we do, all I'm getting at is this is the plan of God. But if you can see right there, you can't stand near the place of the destroyer without also being camped near a place where the wind blows strong. And the wind is always a, a type of the Holy Spirit. God speaking, the mouth of the gorges, the mouth where this voice of God is coming strong. Because again, if you don't have that balance between your warfare and your worship, you will ultimately find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. Because you have to have both. Somebody say amen anyhow. You have to have both. So God has his people. So there's great symbolism in a lot of these things. It's, it's like I said, one day, if you ever want to take some good courses, I don't even know what people are always asking me about Bible college in this nation. And I really don't know which ones to recommend. I, and that doesn't mean there aren't good ones. I just don't know. But I know in, in, there's good courses like we took in the States where, they, where you go through literally every name in the Old Testament when you look at what the symbolism of the names are and why God changes names. And there's just a million things to be learned when you begin to see because all of it is a pattern. All of those things are things that are written for us to learn from. So here was just one of them anyhow. But now let's watch what happens. So God has this take place. Now watch as we begin to go and see what 
again, Moses is going to learn. There's a lot of things we have to learn here. Now, verse 3 says, this is the Lord God speaking to Moses. Verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Now, now really look at verse 4, regardless of what translation you have. But in the Amplified, it reads like this. This is God speaking. I will harden and make stubborn and strong Pharaoh's heart that he will pursue them. Now, I want you to hear something right there. It's God's plan for Pharaoh to pursue his people. Do you hear that? I'm going to upset some of you today. <laughs> I want you to understand it's God's plan. Who's Pharaoh a type of? Remember? Satan, the devil. It's God's plan for Pharaoh to pursue them. But listen to what God's intent is. He said, I'm going to harden, make stubborn and strong Pharaoh's heart that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor and glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And who? And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they, do so, and they did so. Now, again, I just want you to listen. I just want to submit it to you because it's true all through Scripture. It's always been God's plan that the way the world, Egypt, would know that he's God is when they see his people, God's people, overcome the plots and the plans and the devices of the wicked one that come in our lives. Because it's only when people see you go through the same things that they go through, but you have a peace, you have a release, and you have a freedom that you're not cast down, you don't freak out, you don't run, that something happens, God touches you, God provides for you, God heals, that's when God gets glory. Now, so hear it. It's not, intent, it's not God's intent that Satan or Pharaoh pursue us, overtake us, and destroy us. Did you hear me? You got to make sure you hear that. But it's part of God's overall plan. Now, hear me. It's not that God's... See, Satan is Satan because of who Satan is, okay? God didn't make Satan Satan. Satan made himself Satan. He turned, remember, from Lucifer to Satan by his rebellion and when that stuff entered into him. But the point is this. God's only going to really be seen in the earth when he's seen through his workings in the midst of his people through their overcoming the things that come at their life. This is again why when you teach on the grace of God or you teach on the message of faith or what have you, it's, you see faith in, in God and faith for healing, faith for finances, faith for whatever, just faith for walking in the blessing of God is so much more than you realize. It has become about you, but it's never been intended for it to be about you. It was always intended that it be about God. But again, because of human nature and the quickness that we are, how quick we are to get into a level of pride and in some form, shape, it became about us. But you see, if you can really hear it, this is why there's a freedom in wanting to walk in divine health when you realize, I want to walk in divine health because of the testimony bears to the world, not, because of the, not so I can brag to somebody about my faith. Did you hear me? Or that I want to have finances. I want to have an 
overwhelming abundance of finances, absolutely. But it's not so that I can buy myself new cars and new houses. Now, I can enjoy new cars and new houses because God has no problem with it. But that's not the intent of my blessing. The intent of God's blessing is so that I can be a blessing to many. And that others can see that it's wise to serve God. God will give wisdom of, not, of, of witty inventions, the Bible says. God's a creator. He'll give you skill. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight in business. He'll give you brand new ways of doing things that attract the world. And they would ask you, where did you get this wisdom? And the issue was for you to say, well, I got it from being with God. Amen. Now, so I'm, if you can keep it that simple, because this is, this is such a key, such a dividing line of scripture. So no matter how many people have perverted the courts of justice as far as what God's intent was for our healing and our blessing, you see, you always have to come back again, like I say, to the lowest common denominator to understand. This is why there's such warfare involved. I mean, you will never find the level of warfare that you'll find anywhere in the body of Christ, much less the world. See, this is the see, people are so busy fighting in the body of Christ that we don't really get to deal with the stuff that's out in the world as much. Because everybody in the body of Christ is, is besieged by these religious demons that are attacking everybody else who wants to live by faith, who wants to actually believe that God does, is a good God. He wants me blessed in body. He wants me blessed in my finances. He wants me blessed in my mind. He wants me absolutely, totally free. He wants the world to see. But see, if I never had a problem ever, well, there wouldn't be a lot of testimony there for you to see. You would not see my faith in action. You might hear me singing, but, you know, it's when you see Rod get hit and Rod stand up that you go, there's something at work in him. It's when somebody sees you get hit, but you stand up, they see something's at work within you. But if you always just fall or if you always, you know, hit the ground and if your emotions run awry and you're, you just go nuts every single time, well, that's what the rest of the world does. So there's not very much weight to our testimony. Now, I'm just saying, so that's why there's such a warfare in this area. I hope, I, I can't make it and say it any simpler than that. But you'll have the finest, like you've heard me say, the finest theologians and religious minds in the world that will come out against this absolute desire of God to walk to see his children blessed. And they'll take indiscriminate scriptures about suffering and they'll misteach it, miscommunicate it, totally missing all the rest of the stuff that's in between. I mean, I, it's, it, just, it just gets so simple. But I just want you to hear this first. Because if you're going to be involved in intercession, which you are already to some degree in prayer whatsoever, you have to understand that this is part of the journey. I believe that you guys are here because you want to, your, your desire is to grow closer to God, really, not just to know more about Scripture, but to actually begin to sense His touch and His breath coming out of your life, and uh, many more things. Now, all, again, see, the blessings are all there, but all of that stuff is peripheral. All of that stuff is just the frosting. It's not the cake. Because the real nutrition comes, remember, from the fruit of the Spirit that you begin to bear. But I want you to catch this, you see. God said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue you. But he said, I'm going to gain honor and glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians will know that I'm God when that takes place. So make sure you mark the difference. 
He didn't say, I'm going to harden his heart so that it'll overtake and kill you. <laughs> See, God's trusting. God is the most trusting individual there is. <laughs> God is constantly in faith that somebody down here is going to believe him. God's constantly, that's why scripture says his eyes run to and fro, searching this entire earth for someone that he can show himself strong to. Because it's not just for them, it's for Egypt. It's for the world. See, I'm saved, and most of you are saved. So in reality, like I always say, my ticket's already punched. Right? I have eternal life now. I have eternal life now. So do you. So I've already received, again, as we say, the greatest miracle that will ever come. I have eternal life. When my physical blood pump stops beating, I will instantaneously be with the Lord. Hallelujah. So that brings great comfort and peace to me. But in the meantime, I'm down here. And so are you. But that hope that has entered beyond the veil, and that's what is the anchor for my soul. In the midst of all of these hassles that would come in something called L-I-F-E. This is why I don't freak out and panic about things. Now, am I tempted to? Absolutely. Do I sometimes? Absolutely. But I've learned to be very quick to recover myself. Now, sometimes I'm better at it than others. So this is why, you see, nobody needs to get under condemnation because we're all on this journey together. But we do need to see what God's plan really is and then trust Him. So the issue is when you understand that it's God's plan, it takes the panic out of it. In other words, you don't turn around and go, oh my God, I'm being attacked. You go, oh, I'm being attacked again. <laughs> you know, it's like the old thing in 1 Peter, I always quote, the Bible says, why do you think it's strange? Think about that. Why do you think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that come to try your faith as though something foreign to your vocation was happening to you? In other words, when something happens so quickly, we will, whatever. This is so strange. I don't know why it's happening. You know, and I'm just saying, it just says. And I'm saying there's part of that you have to catch. Now, walking with God, you see, will keep you from many things. But if you think walking by faith makes you absolutely, totally, 100% exempt from things happening. See, that's where that leaven got into the whole message. And it'll not come nigh me. Well, it won't come nigh me and stay. But it'll come nigh me. But it won't come nigh me and stay. At least that's what my faith declares. Remember Psalm 91. He said, I will be with you in trouble and I will deliver you. He did not say there would be no trouble. He said, I'll be with you. The issue, what I have to know is, he'll be with me in trouble. And as my, if my mind is under, understands it, see, I have the sure and certain knowledge of my deliverance from the trouble. But I will have trouble. Didn't Jesus say, in the world you will have tribulation. Any of you in the world besides me? You will have tribulation. And then what did he say next? So be worried, anxious, and fed up and be incredibly upset and freak out because, no, he said what? He said, but be of good cheer. Let me see your good cheer look. But be of good cheer because, he said, you see, I have overcome already the world, the power of the world to harm you. See, hell's already lost the battle. You, you've been redeemed. 
Hallelujah. So like the old, we, we say it kind of in the, in, in, with the meaning to be humorous, but there's a great truth to it. When we used to say, you know, what can the devil do? Kill me? The worst he can do, the worst he could do is take my life. But you see, if he did, I'd be in heaven earlier. So in reality, he really, see, he would love to take some of us out earlier if we're actually doing damage to his kingdom. But a lot of people think that hell's trying to, hell is like their personal, you know, hell is personally focused on them. And I always smile when I hear people say that, and I try to say it as lovingly as I can, and I look at them and say, you're just not that special, sweetheart, <laughs> for Satan himself to put that much attention on you. So be delivered from your pride. We're all in this world. It stinks. But we have a gracious God who said, I've already overcome the world of the power to harm you. First John is clear. It means what it says. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. We've already overcome. I've already overcome the world. Okay? Now you have to catch that. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. God's ordained for these things to come against us. But remember, I always say we're playing catch up. See, the church is so anemic and so weak. There's so much unbelief. There's so much wrong teaching that they don't understand even the basic premise of this. Well, so many don't. And so they've built huge theologies around about why God wants you to suffer this way and suffer that way and suffer this way and that you receive glory from God when you die of cancer. You receive glory from God when you live the rest of your life in a wheelchair. And that's not what the Bible teaches anywhere. But you see, when you say things like that, people think you're being unkind to people in wheelchairs. And you're not being unkind to people in wheelchairs. You just have to get clinical to a little degree about the Bible if you're ever going to take it because otherwise people will come with their emotions and you'll be intimidated by somebody else's emotional application of stuff. And you'll lose at the game of life very candidly. So watch. He said in verse 4, I will harden and make stubborn and strong Pharaoh's heart that he will pursue them and I will gain honor and glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians. This is the plan, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was changed towards the people and they said, what is this that we've done? We've let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariots and took his army and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Now the Lord made hard and strong the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites for they left proudly and defiantly. Remember that all of the, you know, you women are important. You do remember the last few verses of wherever it is over here. Um, yeah, all the women, the women are the ones that went to all the neighbors and demanded of them the silver and the gold and what have you. It's just women have persuasive powers. <laughs> and, uh, but they'd went and they'd, you know, and Egypt said, just get out of here. But it was the women who went. And like I said, I think probably, maybe I made mention of this weeks ago, I don't remember, but it is incredible, you know, the place of women in scripture. That's why hell again is so against the female sex. He, he wants you so intimidated. He wants you bound by any form, in every form of religion there is. But all through Scripture, I mean, like even about, you know, it says in Proverbs, many are in Psalms and in Proverbs, for that matter, in another way, but it says many were the women who published the Word. Women were the first ones at the resurrection. Women were the ones that, you know, were there at Jesus' uh, beck and call, really. They served. They, they were just, just the women. In verse 8, the Lord made hard and strong the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, for they had pursued the Israelites, 
For they pursued the Israelites, for they had left proudly and defiantly. Verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the Red Sea by Piaharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. Okay? Now, verse 10, the first four words in my Bible says, When Pharaoh drew near. Now, what happened to the Israelites? Let's read it. When Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And the Israelites were exceedingly glad and blessed and said, Hallelujah, what an opportunity for God to be shown alive and God to be shown strong. Amen? That's what the church does, right? We say, Glory to God, what an opportunity. Right? That's all we all do. No, of course, it says when Pharaoh drew near, and this is again, like I said, if you can just see the typology afresh, Pharaoh is going to draw near every one of us. Okay, do you hear me? Do you really? Pharaoh will draw nigh to every one of us. None of us are exempt. The way Pharaoh, the way Satan works, remember, his kingdom is built on the precept of fear. Just like God is, is built on the precept of, of faith. See, God's kingdom is nothing, it's just saturated in love. His is saturated in hatred. Where there's hatred and all that despondency, there's always fear. But it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the Egyptians looked up, and behold, the Excuse me, when Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and the Israelites were exceedingly frightened. And they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you treated us this way and brought us out of Egypt? Did we not tell you in Egypt, let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, you know, in intercession, let me tell you, if you begin to pray, if you begin to come, if you get close to people, uh, it's sometimes a lot easier when people don't even know you're praying. Trust me. But what a lot of people don't realize about prayer, and I've said this before, but let me just share with you the basics again. When you begin to pray, one of the number one ways you pray is, of course, to pray the Word of God into a situation, don't you? Because the Word of God is light. God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. When people are bound, they're bound by virtue of darkness. In other words, that's what Scripture says. They lie, the whole world lieth in darkness, what have you. But people, when people are bound in areas, they're in a place of darkness. They don't see. You can't, when it's dark, you can't see. Now, what happens is when you begin to pray for people, in particular, I'm, I'm going to just speak about individual situations now, uh, in my own experience at least. When you pray for people that are really bound, have you ever been in a pitch black room when somebody turned on a light? What's the first reaction that a person has when light goes on in a pitch black room? Do you look to it or away from it? You look away from it because it just shocks those nerve endings in your eyes. It just, you turn away from it because your, your eyes have to get adjusted to it. Now, when you begin to pray for people, you have to understand when you actually begin to pray and speak the Word of God over a situation, God is not a man that He should lie. I guarantee you, light begins to go into the situation. Trust me, light begins to go into the situation. But light shocks people. And what happens is so often people turn away from that initial burst. Now, what I'm talking about is you'll hear a bad report before you hear a good report. What I'm talking about is how all of a sudden, you'll see things get worse before they get better. 
But what happens in many, and I'm saying it very simplistically now, but what happens in many cases when people pray for situations, the moment they see things get worse, they back off. Do you hear me? They do. They back off and they go, oh, well, either, you know, this, my prayers aren't working, they're not availing much or what have you, because after all, look at this situation, I'm praying for this guy, and now all hell's breaking loose. I mean, stuff's going wrong in his life, his marriage is getting worse, he's losing money in his business, da 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 and everything's getting worse. And you have to understand, if you pull back from prayer, then you see what happens as you pull the light back out of the situation, and the people's eyes just go back to the adjustment to the darkness. And what I'm trying to say is this is why all through Scripture we talk so much about consistency and talk about constancy and about how the Word of God speaks so much to that issue because it's the constancy of our prayers. It's the consistency. It's, it's just staying with it. It says take hold of God and let him, don't let him go until Israel is established or Jerusalem is established. It's this whole principle about keeping at it. You see, you don't start praying. Remember Frangipan's statement that I said last week, you don't declare war on hell on Monday and decide on Tuesday you don't want to fight. You don't start something and not finish it. I'm talking about real intercession now. Because what you'll do is, remember, if you dis I don't know, oh God help me, I don't want to get way ahead of myself. You don't want to just displace something without replacing something because of the seven spirit that's more wicked than the first one principle that we'll get to a little bit later. That's a real important issue. See, that's why God doesn't, now hear me, I, I'm just going to throw this out at you and make you mad. This is why God does not answer a lot of people's prayers because they know, God knows in heaven, God knows that rather than this person's state become worse than it is, he's not even going to answer this first issue because he, does, he knows that the people don't have the tenacity to stick with it and see the thing through. Dr. Summerall, I always remember again, you've heard me share, Dr. Lester Summerall was one of my teachers for a while. Probably had the most the most real experience with demons and the demonic in the whole planet Earth while he was alive of any man that lived in, in current times. And all of his books and tapes and stuff, but I mean, he dealt with the real stuff, you know, and all these other lands and trees where, that were worshipped and were hosts for, I mean, stuff that you read, you just, you don't even believe it's, you just think that you're reading science fiction, but it's true, it's real. But I always remember him being asked to pray for this one, this woman brought up, and this is just, don't, I, this can open a lot of questions. We're not going there right now, but I just want you to hear a principle about an old man who worked with Smith Wigglesworth for years, you know, and, and uh, uh, one, of the, one of the last persons to see Smith alive and what have you. But, but Summerall had a, a woman come up with her niece, and her niece, he, she said, I want you to pray for her that she'd be delivered of all this junk. Her niece was about 12 years old. And this, she was just, and, she's, and Summerall said, well, what's the situation? He said, well, her parents, my sister and brother-in-law, are Satanists, and they've dedicated this girl to the devil from the day she was born. And they've done all, and it went on and on and on with all the stuff that happened in this young girl's life. I want you to pray for her. And I want, you know, because of the, the you know, the evident of, evidence of your ministry, this old, you know, everybody knew about Dr. Summerall's ministry over the earth in those days. I want you to pray for her that she be delivered. And he asked one question. And he said, where will she go after I pray for her? And she said, well, I have to take her back to her mom and dad. And he said, I won't pray. And she said, what do you mean you won't pray? I thought you were a man of God. And he said, I won't pray for her. I'm not going to do it. And the woman got all mad and stuffy and took the little girl away and what have you. And now, people would have thought that he was being very mean and very hard. But this old man walked in more wisdom than you and I will probably, all of us in this room will ever have together. 
I'm serious. The guy had been in Bennett, done it, you know what I mean? Just, you know, he was an incredible, incredible, uh, powerfully used man of God. But I want you to catch that. You see, there was a wisdom in not seeing that because he knew that the latter state of that girl would have been worse if she would have gone back to the same situation. You have to get some situations free. You have to change the environment. So this is why, you know, people want us to teach just the basics of spiritual warfare and territorial spirits, and, and people think they can go into a community and take authority over some devil and instantly everything change. And it can change, all right. <laughs> but it can become a little bit worse unless there's a people that have actually understood that this scripture is serious when it talks about God told his people to go and possess the land, not visit it. You know what I mean? So this is why there's a lot of things to learn, and this is why normally when it comes to the issue of actual intercession, God will normally have a smaller team because there'll be a smaller group of people that will stick with something, whereas a larger group of people, their interests will become divided too quickly in other areas. One will become interested in this and this and that. And that's, see, this is why I said, now don't get mad at me. Remember what, the very first of this, when I started the first series of Eight Tastes in the beginning, I was talking, I said there's a difference between Truly, if we want to get honest about an intercessor and prayer warriors. Remember? Remember that? I said, even like I said, a Reese Howell's book back there, intercessor. There's a big difference. An intercessor is somebody that takes hold of something. It's maybe a life project. They'll never let go of it. That doesn't mean we're not all called to intercede. But I'm just saying, you see, because I don't want people to freak out and go to the church and say, well, Rod Anderson says none of you are intercessors. <laughs> That's not what I said to say. Did you hear me? Please, because I'm in enough trouble around the world as it is. People taking things out of context that I say. But I'm saying if we want to get honest. See, I just, I just want to become as accurate as I can. And I've, because I've experienced some of these things firsthand, I know, well, put it this way, I've been there, okay? I've seen what's happened. I've got the bruises on me. I, I do. I've got the bruises in my spirit of things that have happened, you know, that I didn't understand. So when Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up and they became exceedingly frightened, it says. And then the people began to, because of their fear, they came against the very people that were setting them free. Now, why I'm saying that again, too, I just want to relate to that for a moment. Remember, right there even, a lot of people, you know, that you help to get free, they're, they're your best friend one moment, and they're your worst enemy the next moment. Because why did you bring me out of this stuff in the first place? It's like the old joke when we tell people, you know, you hear people say, just get saved. You need to receive Jesus and get saved. It'll be the best decision you'll ever make in your life, which is true. But then they'll say things like, and from then on, everything in life will be rosy. You'll know, never have another problem again. You'll just float through life. <laughs> you know, and that's not the way it is. Because the moment like here, when Pharaoh saw that Israel had actually escaped, what did he say? Oh my God, what have we done? We've let them go from serving us. And then is when, you see, he sent his trained chosen chariots after them. So you do become, you're far more a danger to hell now than you were before. That's why before, your life could have just, you could have just strode along and didn't have that much of a hassle. Then you come into Christ, and particularly if you begin to make the decision to know the things of faith and to really grow in the Spirit, you'll find yourself far more aggressively come at. This is why, again, you have to be trained, not just taught once in a while. That's why discipleship is so important, because there is a price that comes along. You will have a warfare come at you. But you see, to be 
you know, like I say, is to be, to be rightly prepared is, is half the issue. You have to, if you're prepared in the way you think so that you don't panic when stuff comes, you realize it's part of the journey, like I keep saying. It's just part of the journey. So I, you don't freak out because one of the major things that God wants you to be free from is the panic syndrome. You got to quit panicking. Just because Pharaoh draws near, you know, doesn't mean that you just freak out and jump into the Thames. You, you just go, well, here he comes again. Well, you got to understand, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's going to come. But you can get to the place where you go, well, hallelujah. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you've delivered me out of those things in the past. You're going to deliver me out of this. Because that's what he's done in my life for 20-some for years. And whether you think so or not, that's what he's already done in your life in some areas. Trust me. You've already, you know, there's none of you in this room that hasn't been touched to some degree by the Spirit of God. What I mean is you, you've experienced his salvation, his his freedom, his healing. You've experienced something about him or you wouldn't be here. And see, that's a real key. That's what Romans 5 teaches. You see, that hope makes not ashamed. That experience, faith worketh, tribulation worketh faith, faith worketh patience, patience worketh, patience worketh experience, and experience worketh hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. What that means is this, is once you've gone through something, that experience worketh hope, and hope makes not ashamed. That means that experience of God having delivered you from something of the past is what you're supposed to lay hold on today in whatever you're in now. How many of you remember being in situations that when you were in them, you saw no way out whatsoever, but today you're out? Has anybody ever experienced that? We all have. But when you were there, if you can look back to that, whatever it may have been, if you can look back to that, you can remember the opportunity to fret and to fry, you know, and go, God, oh. you know, you're, gonna, you're suffocating. I, you know, and you see no way out. There's what, what how will I ever recover from this? I mean, ever. I mean, my own stories, you know, I can remember sitting in those jail cells. I remember even after I got into Teen Challenge, like I said, and the stuff that happened, you know, I you know, don't even want to go there right now, but stuff that happened when you think you're living for God and in the middle of it, a broke, when your heart is broken in a billion pieces and everybody that you thought loved you betrays you and you're just, it just boom and your, your family dies and built it and just stuff and you just, you just, you'd like get blinds. You just in the, in the middle of it, there's, you, there's no possible way to see yourself out of it. But nevertheless, a day comes when you're on the other side. And you couldn't tell anybody how it happened other than it happened, you're on the other side. Well, see, that is the experience that is supposed to work hope in you for whatever you're in today. You have to know that you know that you know that no matter how impossible a situation looks, just like he delivered you then, he'll deliver you now. There will come a moment when you'll be on the other side. Hallelujah. Because these things come to pass. They don't come to stay. But your attitude, your mind has to be right. You have to have your mind renewed to that. So it doesn't mean that you can take away all the density of the darkness that you might sense right now in the presence, in the present situation. But you see, this is what faith and hope and love of God is all about. It's this knowledge that he will never leave me. He's with me in trouble. See, I'm not alone ever in this thing, and he'll deliver me. And this is what Israel had to know, and this is what intercessors have to know in the midst of it, because you're called to be in nasty, dark, squalid, rotten, ugly, dirty, funky, smelly places sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hallelujah. Just the way it is. I've been there. Sorry. Now, verse 13 is a famous scripture in the way that it says, but I want you to hear. Moses tells the people now, because everybody begins to get mad at Moses. 
That's what always happens. You blame somebody because you don't want to blame yourself. I'm sorry I set you free. Oh, well. Moses told the people, fear not, stand still, firm and confident, undismayed, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you will never see again. Now, here's the point. Everybody always loves it when I get to this part. That sounds so right, and part of it is right, but when you read it in context, you'll find out, is this the will of God for them to stand still? You see, in other passages, you'll see it where it says, stand still, you don't need to fight, this battle is the Lord's, what have you. But even with there, I could go there and tear those apart for you, and you really love me afterwards. But the point here, I want you to see this. Moses turns to the people. You've got two million people now, remember. And they're coming up here, and they're listening. The hoofbeats. I mean, and I've heard them before, haven't you? I mean, you hear them. They're coming. They're coming, man. Pharaoh's coming. It's coming. You've seen what those armies have done to other, other enemies when they've gone out before. You've seen them come back when you're in Egypt. You've seen what they've done to others. And here they come. Well, you know, they're on the way. And Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the enemies that you'll see today, you'll never see again. Well, that sounds good. And, you know, stand still. And I wouldn't mind it maybe if that's what somebody said. But what's the next verse say? God says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. Now, you've got to think. Put yourself between Piaharoth and Beelzephon. You've got the Red Sea on one side. You've got <laughs> coming from the other side. You know what I mean? You've got this army of trained chariots coming from this angle. You've got a sea here. You've got chariots of Egypt coming there. And you've got a man that stands in front of you and says, Okay, I did tell you to stand still. Forgive me. God says, go forward. And you're out here going. <laughs> Seriously. Think about it. Like, which way is forward? Because I got an army of trained mercenaries coming this way, and I got a sea in front of me. And I have to throw the old joke out. It's not an old joke. Like I said, I actually read it in a theology book once. I thought it was, a, I always heard it taught by preachers as a joke. Because, you know, but until an old black preacher in the States that I used to, that used to teach me a lot, he cracked me up. He said, you know, a lot of theologians say that it was, that God, that it was not a big miracle, remember, in those days. Remember, it was not a big miracle in those days where Israel crossed the Red Sea because the Red Sea was only six inches deep where they crossed. That's a lie, but that's what they used to say. This old black preacher got up and said, well, then he said, God worked an even greater miracle because he drowned the whole Egyptian army in six, <laughs> six, inch, six inches of water. <laughs> You know what I mean? People will look for any way to try to talk you out of miracles. But the point is God's word, God's commandment. Now listen, you're in the midst of an impossible situation. Impossible. You've got something in front of you that is impossible. You, how, you can't get through it. You've got something behind that's going to destroy you. But God's word is go forward. God always wants us to move forward. And what is God's instruction? Like I said, I won't even, can't even get to the notes. I'll just have to teach it like I normally do. He said, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now listen to what God's command is to Moses. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the Israelites shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden and make stubborn and strong the hearts of the Egyptians that they shall go into the sea after them. 
And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know, here it comes again, you see. And the Egyptians shall know and realize that I am the Lord when I have gained honor and glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And when he said that, the angel of God who went before the host of Israel now moved and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to the Israelites. And the one host did not come near the other all night. And then, of course, Moses stretches out this rod over the sea. And I've got to get to the next lesson a little while. But let me just plant some seed in you here. First of all, this is the question God asked me years ago. And like I said, all you've heard me share it here, but I've asked students in every school I've ever taught this in, who divides the Red Sea according to that verse, God or Moses? Who divides the Red Sea? No, that's fine, you see, because when you have a group, it's a lot of you have heard me teach it, but when you have a group of people, the moment I ask this, who divides the Red Sea, God or Moses? Well, everybody will say, well, God, because God's the only one that's got the power. Then I have them go back. I said, read the scripture. What does it say? God said, Moses, stretch forth that rod over the sea and divide it. And my people will cross over on dry land. So then I say that, and I say, who divided the Red Sea? Then everybody goes, but they don't say it very strong. They go, well, Moses. <laughs> but they all know that a man can't divide a sea. And of course, it's not a trick. But the issue is, it's just, again, the patterns throughout all Scripture. God doesn't divide the Red Sea. Moses doesn't divide the Red Sea. God and Moses divides the Red Sea. But listen, supernatural deliverance always comes, supernatural deliverance from impossible, seemingly impossible situations always comes from the obedient usage of something God has already put in your possession. Because that rod is a type of authority. It's a type that stands for rule or authority, a word, something that God's given you. But you are the one that have to reach out and put it over the situation. You have to stretch it out over it. Did you hear me? You have to stretch it out over it. You do. Now God works with you to confirm the word with signs and wonders following. Your co-labor is with him. But there's a ton of stuff in here that I don't have time to get to because the end times, there's a, there's a ton of end time revelation right here because about even that last night, the spirit of God, the pillar of fire and the cloud by day, one removed from where it was and they both came together at the same time between Israel and Egypt. That's the world and God's people. But let me just, I've got to finish, but let me just finish with something that I really want you to hear. And this is a revelation as it were. This is something that I know that I know that I know that to be true, but I want you to catch it. As you see, even if you've seen the Ten Commandments of film, you know what I mean, like my old joke, when you get to heaven, we'll all see that Moses looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> but, uh, but if you can picture that, you know, I love that film. I still do. I've, I've still got it. I watch it all the time. They walked through that sea, but remember what God said he was going to do to Pharaoh? He was going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would go into the sea. Now listen to this. When those waters stood up on the end, let me ask you this question. Do you think that was a pretty fair to Midland move of the Spirit of God? Is that not a move? Is that not a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God? Of course it is. <laughs> it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now listen to this. And I, like I said, we're not going to take time to go through it all, but just listen to this. God's people are commanded to march through the sea and to go forward, not to look backward, but to go forward. God never has people. It's bad to look backward. You turn into salt, the wrong kind of salt. You go forward. Now watch this. I just want to share this with you. 
In the last days, my friends, the greatest mistake, because this exodus is a whole type of everything that we live in today, because we're going to have an exit. We're going we're to experience an exodus not that far away. But listen to me. So many people are so focused on trying to combat the devil. The greatest mistake the evil one will ever make, and even though it's written, he'll still make it, is this. As we move out into the manifestation of God's Spirit, we're supposed to follow the cloud, aren't we? Follow the fire and the cloud. As we move and follow the Spirit of God, the very same move that brings us deliverance, you have to understand, listen, this is the great mistake the evil one will make. In the very last days, his big mistake is he's going to follow us into the move of the Spirit. Now, that may not sound like much right now, but you need to think about what I just said. He's going to follow us into the manifestation of the Spirit of God. And the very same manifestation, the very same Spirit of God that is our deliverance is His destruction. That's what will totally, finally annihilate and wipe Him out. And then we'll sing the song of Moses because all of Egypt we'll see dead on the shore. The old Pentecostal song is in the next part. But if you could just see this right here. God's command was to go forward. God's command is for us to always understand, like I said, that he has a purpose in Pharaoh pursuing us. It's not God's purpose that Pharaoh overtake and destroy us, but God knows in the midst of his pursuit, this is the way the world is going to discover that he's God because they're going to see him overcome. They're going to see God overcome for us in the midst of the enemy's pursuit of us, okay? Let me say that one little phrase again. God always delivers his people from impossible situations, from the obedient and correct usage of something that God's already placed in your possession. And what is in your possession is that which he's anointed, that which is his rhema, that which is the authority that you know has come to you from heaven. But you're the one that wields it. God's anointed it. Man must wield it. Did you hear me? God doesn't do it. Man has to wield it. God has a part to play. Man has a part to play. Divine intervention. God help me. Isaiah 59. Divine intervention always comes because of the intercessors. That's what it says in Isaiah 59. Because of the intercessors' intervention, Israel will be free. If you want divine intervention, the way you're going to have divine intervention is through a man on earth listening to divine instruction. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, Holy One, please just cause them to dig into this a little bit deeper and go further themselves so that they can discover the many, many jewels that are here in this last, in particular, the last part of this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.